Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This message is intended to inspire you and give you solutions for the challenges of life. Today's message is the sixth message in the Summer of Psalms Sermon Series. For more information about the ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at bccma.org or give us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. The life after this one is going to be pretty sweet. We're all going to meet again, and uh, it's going to be pretty, pretty great. Uh, we're getting back to uh, the, the Psalms of Ascent today. It's called the Summer of Psalms, and I've enjoyed uh, getting to know these Psalms better and, and picking out the themes. I'm noticing there, there's just a common theme, uh, a common theme of of. of Trials and tribulations for the nation of Israel. That they were a very tried people and very real pressures they were under, and uh, and and a common theme of what what I called in one of the sermons a mercy mindset. It was always a merciful mindset, always believing that God was merciful, never blaming God. I just find that amazing. They never got down on God in their meditations, uh, as far as all these problems they were having. But they always they always looked to God. God was always their friend. God was always the one to help them. And I think that's the right mindset. If you're going to have a growing relationship with God, uh, don't, don't resort to being a bit, becoming a bitter person. And who, who, you know, one of the things about Job, it says of Job that after he lost everything and his horrible things happened to his life, I don't think any of us have suffered like Job. Uh, the Bible says he did not charge God foolishly. And so that's what I see about the nation of Israel. In fact, they were, they were like, didn't behave well. They were brats. They were rebellious. They were all these things. But for some, somehow it seemed like they always kept their attitude toward God pretty close to where you would want it to be. Pretty much uh, the nation of Israel. And I, and I think about even the, the, the Pentateuch and the five, first five books of the Bible. You... You, you see them wandering off, and you see them complaining and things like that, but they always, when, whenever God disciplined them, I can't think, now maybe you can, but I can't think of any time when God disciplined them that Israel ever, uh, ever said, God had no right to do that. We were perfect. We, we were doing what we were supposed to do, and God just blah, 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 and like we do. You know, but it was, God, what's, what's he thinking? Now, it was always... When God would clean their clock and take them to the woodshed, it was always, yeah, God was right. We were, we were wrong. We're going to repent. And I think if we would just capture that mindset, it would help us to go so much further. If we would just like, just, just keep that mindset that we are all capable of, uh, we're all capable of sinning. Uh, and if not sinning, we're capable of making things worse. <laughs> and they seem to understand that. Let's go to Psalms 130, verse 1. I'm going to call this sermon, Out of the Depths, because it's about what we are to do when we get in that deep, dark place in our life. Psalms 130, verse 1 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you are... See, there's that mercy mindset again. It's not... Lord, let your, let your ear be attentive to my fact that I deserve justice. You know, just kind of like the, you, you probably heard about the, 
the woman who did not like her pictures from the photographer, and she went back and she said, listen, these pictures do not do me justice. And he said, lady, you don't need justice, you need mercy. <laughs> so that was Israel that was like, God, have mercy. Oh, Lord, who could stand? If, if, if you kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? So, Lord, we're not, we're not asking for what we deserve here. We're asking for mercy. But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits uh, for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. A lot of people have the idea that love just happened in the book of Matthew. <laughs> that people had no sense that God was a God of love till Matthew and then Jesus came along. Now, it's not true. The, the, the people of Israel understood that God loved them. They didn't have this mean, angry God image. It wasn't there. We won't talk about the law this morning, but that, that needs more explanation. Now, I just want to jump over to a New Testament verse that affirms this. I'm going to read from the message. 1 Peter 4.12. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Instead, be glad that you're in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. Now, life can take you to some very deep places, very deep and dark places. And if you live long enough, it will. It will take you to a deep, dark place. Uh, I, I, I knew when I started studying this, there must be some deep, dark places physically in the earth. And, and I found way more than you would want me to talk about. But I, did, I, did, I was fascinated by a couple of deep, dark places. One is the, the it's called the Cola Super Deep Borehole. And honestly, I, I forgot to capture where it is in the world, but it, it's somewhere in the world. Sounds like it's Hawaii, but I'm not sure. Cola Super Deep Borehole, it is a, a man-made well that extends 40,000 230 feet below the earth's surface. Uh, the interesting thing about the well is it's never been accessed by human beings. It was completely drilled by machines. And the original plan it, that was, was mapped out was they were, were going to build this well that was going to go 49,000 feet down. But the temperatures at that uh, depth were so intense that no drill could survive it. So they got down to 4,000. 40,230 feet, and it was 500 degrees Fahrenheit at that, at that depth. So when, when the psalmist David says, out of the depths, you're talking about a place that's high pressure, a, 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 a kind of place that melts things, the kind of place that you've heard of having a meltdown. Well, you're talking about a kind of place in your life, everything in your life doesn't deserve to be called the depth. Now we all know, and maybe we've been that. Maybe we've all ever been that person who, who called breaking a, a fingernail being in the depths, <laughs> or a flat tire, or, or some first well having your Wi-Fi go down, <laughs> <laughs> not be able to find your cell phone. You know that that's the out of the depths. No, that's not the depth. The, the depths is uh, when you're going. To the emergency room, and it's your kid. 
who's there. And they're not in a good place. Those are the depths. The depths are when you look at your spouse's computer and you find out they've been talking to some other people about things they shouldn't be talking about. Those are the depths. I'm, that's what we're talking about today. We're not talking about first world problems. Another place is, uh, is called El Zacaton, or Zacaton, and it's in Mexico. It's one of the deepest places on earth. It, it goes down to 1,112 feet below sea level, and it's, it's a sinkhole. It's just a sinkhole filled with water. And the deepest dive that they've done is back in 1994. A couple of guys went down to 925 feet, and one of them died at 900 feet because of the pressure. So when, when, the, when, Paul, when David talks about, it, about this, he, or, or I'm not sure David wrote that psalm, but when the psalmist who wrote it talked about this, he was talking about that kind of place and being under that kind of pressure. Psalm 69.1, kind of, I just want to read it because it kind of graphically illustrates the feelings. He said, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. We all have deep problems sometimes, marital and relational conflicts that we can't get to the bottom of, tangled financial problems that we can't get to the bottom of because they're so deep. We can have hopeless uh, addictions and compulsions. That we, when, I, when I say deep, I mean there are things we can't get to the bottom of and can't understand them. And, and of course, there's mysterious depression that some of you wake up with sometimes that you can't understand it, and you don't know what causes it so deep. Uh, and, but isn't it kind of weird to be singing a song about it? Isn't it kind of weird? I, I'm, I'm going up to Jerusalem to meet with God, and I'm going to meditate on the darkest days of my life. I'm going to, I want to think about, I want to intentionally think about the darkest days of my life. I thought about that. I thought, that is pretty weird. It's kind of a heck of a thing to be be thinking about go, uh, as you go to worship God. But then I thought about how a lot of us, and myself included, we go to church on Sunday morning hoping the sermon or the song uh, will speak into that dark place in our lives, don't we? You, you come, you come. I, I hope the pastor preaches something today that will address this really difficult thing that I'm dealing with. And I hear back from you a lot of times that that's exactly what happens. And that causes you to that causes you to know that God loves you, and it causes you to know that things are going to be okay because you're going through this thing. And then God has this guy who doesn't know what you're going through. And God has him speak a sermon, and it's it's just exactly what you needed to hear. It just addresses that thing. It answers that question for you. Or it may not be the sermon. It's a song, you know, a song that a song that helped me get through a, 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 some. Hard days of a couple of years ago is that song Jason sang it last Sunday night. I love that song. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies all till all my fears are gone. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. So, 
So maybe it's not that weird that we would go to the house of God, that we would go up to Jerusalem and we would go there. Uh, we would go there looking, thinking about our greatest trial, our greatest problem. Um, think about it. At our deepest point is where we so often meet God, you know? And, and, and I, I think about this, uh, the cross that we have there that sometimes we have to cover it because of productions and things like that. But probably the closest thing we ever had to a controversy at Bethany was, was that some of you, and you're here this morning, and I'm, is that you wanted to see a cross when you came to church. And, and we kind of went back and forth about that, and we, we, it never was a big, there never was a lot of anger, I don't think, about it. It was just, uh, several of you really, really wanted a cross, and I got to thinking about that this week. I got to thinking about how you wanted to see a cross. I got to think about, what is that? You wanted to see a cross, you wanted to see the symbol of the darkest day in the history of the world. You wanted to see a history of a man who was in the depths. You wanted to see a symbol of suffering. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that we find our greatest inspiration, that we find our greatest joy, and we find the most sacred symbol in the world is a symbol of a man who was suffering, a symbol of a man who was in great pain, the world found its relationship with God in a place that was called the depths, in a place that was full of pain and full of anguish and full of suffering. There's something going on here, friends. There's something going on. We've not plumbed the depths of the depths of God in the place of pain, in the place of suffering, in the place of difficulty. Some of you, many of you will know, and I wouldn't even... I wouldn't dare bring this up if they had not stood on this very stage and uh, told their story. And uh, the man I'm about to mention told his story in detail at a men's retreat. And I know I was supposed to preach after he was done, but I stepped up to the podium after he was done telling his story. and There was no need for a sermon. I mean, everybody was leveled and everybody wanted to come and pray. After Jim Keating told the story of that time and he and Rose's marriage when there was another person in his life and for some reason Jim decided the way to deal with the situation was to eliminate his wife and he actually hired someone or he thought he was hiring someone to take care of that for him and it was an undercover police officer and Jim ended up in the Worcester House of Correction in prison over that. But guess what he found in prison? He found Jesus. He found Christ. And, and I think of today and where their life has gone. Jim built a very successful company that many of you worked for him. And they have two fine young men and boys that are both in church work and serving God. Don't think that that dark place is the worst place to be. Don't think it. Don't think that the pit that you're in today is not a sacred spot. 
I, I talked to a man this week who began to tell me how, what a great relationship with God his son has and how it's impacted him positively. And I understand that because my kids have done some reverse mentoring with me as well. And then he, then, then he began to tell me his, about his son spent time in prison. And it was kind of some of the things about that story were unjust, unjust. It wasn't really all fair and just, but anyways, did prison time. And I, and I didn't even have to really ask. I said, oh, he found God in prison, didn't he? Oh, yeah. That's where he found that relationship with God. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this is a powerful thing. And I know I'm talking to somebody this morning because... I'm going to tell you the three things that you need to do, and some of you are struggling with the first one, and maybe you're struggling with the other two, and I'm going to tell you, you need, you need, to, you need to stop struggling with that first one that I'm going to tell you about. Well, three things, three things that will cause you to find God in the depths. Transparency and vulnerability is number one. Number two, responsibility and repentance. Number three, resistance and mastery. Now those, 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 those three things kind of rub against one another, kind of like, it sounds like, oh, I'm just going to accept it, and then number three, I'm going to talk about resistance. Well, hopefully it'll make sense, and I don't always achieve that, making sense, but I'm going to try today. <laughs> Transparency and vulnerability. Okay, crying out to God shows me that stoicism Aloofness is not faith. That crying out to God in your pain is an act of faith. Now, we're not talking about whiners and complainers. But there's simply no example in the Bible of silent suffering being a strong sign of faith. A while back, well, a few weeks ago, I went down to be with my brother, uh, a fellowship of pastors that he's a part of and been a part of for some time. And uh, I got there and, and we, we uh, I got invited into lunch with some of the kind of the leaders of this conference. But the head of the conference wasn't in there, would have lunch with us. And I noticed nobody was addressing why that why he wasn't there. And I asked my brother when, when we, we were done, we were out of the room, not in front of everybody else, well, where's, I call his name. Well, he's not well, but he's told nobody, nobody's to talk about it. He told everybody not to say anything about him not being well. They're not, we're not to talk about it or mention it. And so the, we, later the service started and his spouse gets up and tries to run the service. And it's obviously and it's a sweet lady, but it's not her gift, you know. She's just not flowing in her gift. And there were ten other guys there that could have done, really been a better position to run a meeting, run a service. And it was just really sad and really, she just wasn't, she just wasn't competent, okay. Is that okay? Is it okay to be godly and competent? Can they go together? You know, we like competence, right? And uh, I, th- I, 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 first I'm thinking, this is so sad that, that this man is not well, 
and, and, and we can't talk about it. We can't say. And so I, go, I, I had to leave for the meeting. I would step out in the hall, and there he was. And I knew him from past. And he's stroked back and forth, and it's obvious. I took one, one look at him, and I said, he has terminal cancer. And you know that look. You, I've seen it a thousand times. I've seen it a thousand times. You can tell when cancer is in someone's body, and it's gone past a certain stage. And, uh, and as I talked to some of the leaders there, they were in pain because they couldn't talk about the pain. They couldn't talk about it because, they, because the leader had this strange theology that if you acknowledge pain, you're going to claim it. And if you claim it, it, will, it you won't be able to stop it. You know, like, like God will freak out if you say, I have cancer. God says, okay. You have cancer now. I can't stop it because you just confessed it. You just admitted you have cancer, so I can't help you. Now, where that became the idea of being biblical is beyond me. I have no idea. Jesus, Jesus what if Jesus got around saying, what can I do for you? And the, the, the blind guy would have said, nothing. I'm fine. <laughs> Jesus never would have said, oh, you say you're blind? Well, just you're going to be blind then. But this doctrine actually gained a lot of traction in the church world a few years ago. I wish I could tell you that all areas of the church are safe, but they're not. They're not safe. So read your Bible, even when you come to this church. Read your Bible. Stay in the Word. Make sure I'm in the Word, okay? Because I could get off. I, I get off every once in a while. Just my, my family usually tells me when I get off. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I got the text from my brother Friday morning. He died. This Friday morning, he died of cancer. And it would have been so much better, you know. I, I watch all the people. I watch people all the time, even in this place, go out and in, out, in and out of here guarding the details of their place in a pit as though they're guarding some shameful and scandalous secret. And I... Number one, there's no telling what God could do if we would cry out together. There's no telling what God can do if we cry out together. If any two agree is touching anything. And, and if I just got to agree with you that you're fine, how's that going to get us anywhere? And, and what if we allowed, and what if that man would have allowed the spiritual, because they were wanting to. What if he would allow the spiritual brothers and sisters to express their love for him? That week, instead of having to ignore him, what, wouldn't that have been so much better? And the Bible says, "By this will know people will know that we're Christians by our love." One of the reasons people are attracted to Christianity because they watch how we gather around one another when one suffers. They watch how we do we do such a good job of that. We do such, such a good job of gathering around and supporting and caring when we suffer. So if you're coming in and out of this place and you're guarding, you're, 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 you're guarding the secret of your pain like you're, like, like, like you're guarding Fort Knox and you're not going to let anybody know that anything's going wrong in the, in the life of your, your marriage or your children or your health, you're trying to keep that a secret, I don't think that's what God invites. Now, now you say, well, this guy in this, wrote this psalm, he cried out to God. No, he put it in a song that everybody sang. 
That's, that's like putting it on the radio today. That's, that's like putting it on social media today. Every, he, he put his pain in a song and sang it out so everybody could hear it. And not only that, when you share your pain, you bring the best minds together to strategize what the next steps are. See, that's what should have happened in that conference. The best minds, and they were good minds in that room. They're good people in part of that conference. And that man's a good man, by the way. He just he was in error. That's all. He he got taught something that was that was not good doctrine. He got taught a bad philosophy. And he lived it out till the end, and it wasn't necessary. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I, I've got to do a study. I'm going to take the time. I'm really gonna, I've been thinking about this for years, and I keep not getting around to it. I've got to do a study on what is gossip. Because a lot of people in the church, I've heard this for years, if you know anything about the pain that they're going in, in their private life, then it means someone has gossiped. And something's not right about that. If, if nobody's talking about your pain, and if nobody cares, then nobody cares about you. Nobody cares. If, if nobody's talking... I, I remember a dad one time whose, whose teenagers were, were really doing bad stuff. And... And, of course, people found out and people talked about it. So here's one thing. We, we've always cared about teenagers here at Bethany Community Church a lot. And, and this is a church that probably more than any, and I don't, this is not bragging or, or trying to put anybody else's down, any church down, but we've probably been more intentional about young youth ministry than any church in the region, really. We've probably been more intentional with, when you look at the school and the youth ministry and all we've done. Well... Think about it. I know you teenagers, you're not going to be mad at me for saying this. You know that you're in a place in your life where you're, you're trying to figure everything out. And you know that you're in a place in your life where you're testing boundaries. Well, after you hit about 12 years of age or 11 or 13, you're going to start testing boundaries. That's what you're supposed to do. That's normal. That's normal that you're going to start trying things. That's normal that you're going to, it's normal you're going to mess up and you're going to cross the line and stuff like that. So when you have a church with a bunch of young people, you're going to have a lot of stuff going on. And, and guess another thing about teenagers, there's nothing about you guys, another thing about you guys is you like to talk and you talk a lot. You, you text, you Instagram, you, you probably created some form of social media that we don't know about yet, because we don't want us to know everything that you're talking about. But, but man, if somebody does something in youth culture, in, youth, in the youth planet, or whatever you call it, kid world, my wife used to call it, if something happens in kids world, it spreads like wildfire. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's drama. So... So you know what happens? I, I've, had, I've had to deal with parents for years about this. I know things about people I shouldn't know. I, I've had a dad say to me, I know things about teenagers in this church that I don't think I should know. You want to go to a church that nobody cares about your teenagers? Do you want to go to a church where nobody gives a rip if they're getting drunk or they're sleeping around or doing drugs? you want to go to a church where nobody cares? 
I don't want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a church where people care. I want to be a part of a church where people, where people in a... Gossip has to do with how you talk about it, not if you talk about it. Gossip has to do when you... I think it's something like this, and I'm way off. My notes are just... I'm way off. Gossip has something to do with when it becomes entertainment. When talking about what your child has done becomes a form of entertainment and a form of slander, it has to do with something like that. Not just somebody saying that your child is sleeping around and getting drunk. I want a church that will let me know if my darling Elise is getting drunk. I want you to talk about it. And I want you to I don't want you just to go talk to her. Because if she's doing that, she's not going to tell any, she's not going to tell me. So you talk to her and you talk to me and you talk to Sherry. And, and you, get, you get us before God and you force us to get before God and humble ourselves. And let's do something about it. Let's cry out to God out of the depths. Number two, if I, if I stay with my normal time, i got like eight minutes to finish this. But you, you don't care, right? You're not, you don't have anything going on today, right? <laughs> Number two, responsibility and repentance. Note carefully with me that the psalmist did not communicate, my painful situation is a direct result of something I did wrong. It may sound like he didn't say that, though. We can't know exactly what he was thinking, but we know what the psalmist says in other places about human sinfulness and human suffering. We also know that the Bible teaching about what the Bible teaches about human sinfulness and human suffering. And what the Bible teaches very plainly about human sin and human suffering is that God created a world for mankind with no pain, nothing but pleasure. But human sinfulness turned that world of no suffering into a world of pain. So indirectly, so indirectly, but without a doubt, all the problems in our lives are a result of the sinfulness of humanity. The people of Israel had this thing called the Law of Moses. And the Law of Moses, everybody today, I hear this a lot in evangelical circles, that the law was bad, the law was awful. No, Paul said the law is good. They did not view the law, even the New Testament. They didn't look at the law and view it negatively because the law caused them to understand how life works. The law was there for them to help them to understand how life works. Now, Jesus came along and he delivered us from the curse of the law. He delivered us from the penalties of the law, but it's still how life works. The law was viewed positively, as we see in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, Paul said, I would not have known sin except through the law. So the law was viewed positively because it helped them know how the world worked. And now you say, well, that, 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 that's, that's all gone. That was Old Testament. No, the Bible says, now the law is written on our hearts. We don't, have to, we don't have to go read all the Old Testament and memorize it like they did. Because the law of God, how life works, is written on our hearts. So there are three things you need to know about all sin. Or four or five things you need to know, more than three. You need to know that sin is always against God. 
Sin is always against God. It's never just about a person. Sin is always, God, I mean to say, is always for humans. Always. Number three, sin always causes humans to suffer. Look at the, look at the, think about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments aren't all the regulations that God gave, but think about the Ten Commandments. Think about the Ten Commandments and, and uh, you know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. Think about the Ten Commandments and what is the result of breaking the commandments? Is it hurts another human being. It increases another human being's suffering. Think about it. We all need... Well, well, none of us are without sin, by the way. And we all need a redemptive sacrifice. So, so that's not something they discover in the book of Matthew. They discovered that in the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, he's saying, God, we need mercy for our sins. We need a substitute sacrifice for our sinfulness. We need you to do something. The problem is not suffering. The problem is sin that causes suffering. The problem is transgression. The problem is we've gotten out of whack. The problem is we've lost our way. Think about it. When Jesus was on the cross, he was in the depths of human suffering. Of all the things he could have cried out for, one would not expect him to have cried out for the forgiveness of human sinfulness. But that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. On the cross, Jesus Christ cried out to the Heavenly Father, to forgive people for they know not what they do. And it's no coincidence that he was suffering between two thieves. He did not say, oh, Father, stop human suffering. On the cross, he said, forgive human sinning. That is really interesting. Luke 23, 20, 33, when they came to the place called the skull where they crucified him along with the criminals on, on his right, the other on his left, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He understood that our sinfulness causes suffering. Therefore, therefore, we need to humble ourselves before God and we need to cry out not only for the people, not only for our own sins, we need to cry out for the sins of the world. We need to cry out for God's mercy on our culture, God's mercy on our families, God's mercy. George MacDonald said, the Son of God suffered unto death, not that men might not suffer, but that their sufferings may, might be like his. So when I suffer, and when I hit that dark place in my life, I need to see it. Now this is really important, not easy to understand, but important. I need to see it as a signal that I am to become an intercessor. An intercessor for God's mercy to come on the human race. On my, the, my world that's so broken, see? It, it, when, when I suffer, it's because the world around me is broken. And God is calling His people, God is calling the church of Jesus Christ to, as the old biblical language, stand in the gap, make up the hedge for the people, for the people of the world. Think about how much suffering would end immediately if people would behave responsibly. The gospel offers this, what I call a paradoxical principle, which is forgiveness before transformation. So don't add to your suffering by becoming resentful, but cry out for your, your antagonist to be forgiven by God. 
Don't add to your suffering by adding sin to sin. Be humble and cry out for the mercy of God. This is what the great moral leaders of history have all discovered. They've all discovered that God is holy. Humans are sinful. And human sinfulness caused by human suffering is subject to a merciful God. It's the only way out. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That means God is on the side of the sufferer, not the cause of suffering. God is on the side of the sufferer. He's not the cause of human suffering. So that brings me to the final point. Mystery, resistance, and mastery. Psalms 130, verse 7. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The worst thing that can happen to a man, Eugene Peterson says, is to have no God to cry out to out of the depths. Israel teaches us to deny, to to respond to suffering as reality, not deny it as illusion, and lead us to face it with faith, not avoid it out of terror. The psalm is, in this way, is representative of, of Israel and should be a period there. One thing we get wrong about suffering, though, is that we're to be passive about it and that we're not to contend with it. We're supposed to try to make suffering go away. We're supposed to try to make suffering go away. Did you realize that God wants us to contend with Him about suffering? I mean, why did God put all these gifts? of help and healing in the church if he just wanted us to wallow in misery? Why was Paul's natural reaction to his thorn in the flesh was to seek the Lord three times to take it away? Why did God honor Hezekiah's request for longevity with 15 more years of life? Why did God give Israel 613 regulations with with the promise that if they would do these things, they would have less suffering. And why was Jesus' first response to the cup of suffering in the Garden of Eden, Father, if you can, take this cup of suffering away from me. If God did not want us to try to end suffering now, not when we get to the next life, but God wants us to try to stop suffering and in suffering now. You see, when, when I am not suffering, I am more useful to you. I am more available to you when I'm not suffering. When I'm out of suffering and when I'm out of pain, I am more useful to you. So I am called by God to contend with my suffering. Not just to contend with having a good attitude about it, which I do need to do that. That's important. But God has not just called me to contend with my attitude. God has called me to contend with my suffering. God has called me to to try to be as energetic and vital and, and, and alive as I can possibly be for you. And God has called you to be as alive and vital and vibrant and pain-free as possible for the people that are around you so you can serve them. God has called you to want to get better. I said, God has called you to want to get better. God has called you to, to move forward, not passively saying, oh, it's the will of God. 
I accept the will of God. No, God, it's the scripture is filled with it that we cry out in pain so we can get beyond our pain. We cry out in pain so we can move into the promise that we are given by God. We're moving to promise knowing full well that there are times when God does not remove our pain. There are times when through his sovereignty that I don't understand or don't even, I'm not even ever going to understand why God doesn't take care of everything for us. I know he does not. I know that in his sovereign will he does not. But there's a bunch of stuff that if you would begin to cry out, God would move you beyond there's a bunch of stuff, there's a bunch of ways that a bunch of us could get better. There's a bunch of ways that a bunch of us, our families could get better. Our marriages could get better. You should want everything to be operating at optimum efficiency. You should be wanting everything to operate at optimum strength. Everything from your physical body. I mean, get moving. Get your physical body moving. You want to be as healthy as you can possibly be. You want to be as strong and vibrant as you could possibly be. And I don't care if you do it through diet or exercise or, or mental, good mental attitude stuff. You want to be as dynamic as you can possibly be because the world around you needs you not to be a moaning, groaning heap of pain all the time. But if possible, if possible, the world around you needs you to be alive and powerful and full of the Holy Spirit. And you'll be surprised how much better a lot of you can get when you begin to contend with pain. And you begin to contend with suffering in a way I'm contending with this suffering because I'm going to conquer it in the name of Jesus. And here's what the Bible says, Romans 8, 36. See, at, at the very least, we're expected to contend for and obtain a triumphant attitude. Now, that, that's, that's the least, in spite of the trials. Romans 8, 36, and you know the scripture well. As the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. That's pretty bad, right? We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. You say, oh yeah, I know that when we get to heaven, God will wipe all tears from our eyes. And we'll live in victory. You know, we used to sing. We used to sing back in my Pentecostal church growing up. Everybody will be happy. We'll be happy over there. <laughs> we will sing. We will sing and shout God's praises. We used to sing this every Sunday almost. Everybody will be happy over there. <laughs> yeah, that's comforting. <laughs> But that isn't what Paul said in Romans 8.37. He said in Romans 8.37, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is. Not will be. Is ours through Christ who loved us. This, is, this here is very important. It did not say will be. It said is. So going to Zion in the Psalms of Ascent wasn't going to heaven. It wasn't. I believe in going to heaven, but it wasn't. It wasn't going to heaven. It was going to the presence of God to receive the authority of victory in the here and now. It's about living a transformed, overcoming life. It's about climbing out of the depths to become reflectors of the presence of God. It, it's a huge part of the reason we go into the presence of God is to contend with Him and wrestle with Him. Oh, I love it. I wish I had another 30 minutes to talk about wrestling with God. 
Because Jacob wrestled with God. And when it was over, his name got changed from deceiver to blessed. He became a blessed man because he wrestled with God. I want you to start wrestling with God over your pain. I want you to start wrestling with God over the suffering in your life. Amen? We go into the presence of God. And I don't, maybe I'll think of a better way to say this someday. All I know to say is, I go into the presence of God to contend with Him. I contend with Him all the time. Evidently, God expects me to contend with Him about suffering and human condition. Why did he say over and over again, ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me, petition me. There's like five words, prayer words, that all have uh, like aggression built into them. (laughs) So we conclude, here's how it works. We face the challenges of life like everyone else. We cry out in pain like everybody else. But here's where we depart from everybody else. We cry out, listen to me carefully. We cry out to community. We cry out for mercy to a redeemer, not a judge. And we meet God in our suffering and then we reflect Him to the world. And we turn every test into a testimony. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.